Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. My priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites. And with thanks to Kate Kingsmore for the last three hours with the distant sky. And uh, a reminder, she'll be back next week on a Wednesday between four and seven. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, the internet, games, uh, Elon Musk for the past five minutes. Uh, you have missed that, but um, there might be some content uh, later in the show. Uh, tonight on the show, it is Mr. Dan Salmon. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself, what? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, looking forward to um, tonight's episode. Um, we've got some fun stuff to talk about. And yeah, I don't know, weather gets a little bit colder. I feel like um, I'm using tech a little bit more just to kind of like, you know, sitting around the electrons to keep warm. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had a, a good week in tech? I've had an all right week in tech. I have to say that my, my the, the, the best use of tech I've had this week has been discovering that there's live streaming of the Giro d'Italia, which not that I'm, oh. massive, not that I'm massively into cycling, but I find it really soothing just to like doze off on the couch with like the Tour de France or like some oh, kind of yeah. long cycling thing. So I'm really looking forward to July. It's like a, it's like being very well rested. It's like being a kid again. Like cycle races are, are very quaint, and um, I totally appreciate where you're coming from. Totally, and the, the 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 one the one last night was in a town where I've been before. I was like, oh, I recognise that place, and I was like, that was kind of cool. Oh, where was it? Uh, Pescara, which is on the east coast of uh, Italy in Abruzzo. Mm. Very nice place. Nice. Uh, I'm with you also. I am Warren Davies. And uh, yeah, as I said, psyched for the show tonight. Um, tonight, uh, rejection uh, is often hard for, for any of us at uh, the best of times. Uh, hopefully some spectacular rejection this weekend um, with the election. But uh, it can be especially hard online. Um, and, and some guys in particular do have a hard time uh, processing it, um, you know, dealing with it, dealing with it adequately. Um, and the Alana and Madeline Foundation, with the support of Swinburne University researchers, have launched uh, a new campaign to help young men uh, with it. Um, so we'll be joined by Swinburne Professor of Media and Communications, Kath Albury, um, in just a sec uh, to take a look at that and, and what it's about. 
Um, and uh, NFTs, we, we do chat about them a bit uh, on the show from time to time, uh, as you maybe want to do um, down at your local or at the tram stop. Um, and they're taking a, a bit of a ride right now, but um, could just be a short-term thing, could just be a, a correction or, uh, or who knows. Um, so to get a better understanding uh, of that, uh, Robbie Coleman, uh, who knows a bit about this space, um, will stop in to pass on some of uh, his apes, um, maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have a chat about that a bit later in the show. <laughs> But um, before then, uh, Russian news, Dan. Yeah, look, it's um, the it's the gift that keeps on destroying our minds. Um, the the war in uh, the Ukraine, and um, funnily enough, uh, high profile and high funded tech people seem to be stumbling when it comes to doing the right thing. Um, one of the most recent ones uh, is uh, an Australian, aren't we great? Um, so uh, Canva, which uh, those of you who don't know what Canva is, it is a it's a web based platform that allows you to do very nice looking designy things with little to no experience in design and putting a whole lot of uh, graphic designers out of business in the process. So uh, we won't we won't unpack that pack of, uh, that can of worms. But um, Canva have uh, been uh, found to uh, I suppose still be operating in Russia after uh, the various sanctions that have been uh, imposed by. Uh, more or less the rest of the world on them. Um, so in a, uh, in a blog post on Tuesday, the founder of Canva, Cliff, or co-founder of Canva, Cliff Obrecht, said uh, that like billions of people around the world, we are strongly opposed to the ongoing war in Ukraine and strongly condemn Russia's continued and illegal acts of aggression. Now, uh, that post came after uh, being quizzed by media outlets about why their operations were still happening in Russia and what was going on there. Um, their, their response there was, we... Uh, want to, uh, people who use Canva to be able to, you know, put up anti-war protests or anti-war designs and that kind of thing, which is all very well and good, except for the fact that uh, in Russia the um, discourse is far and away in favour of the war. Mm. Uh, so I'm not sure if that particular excuse flies. Uh, one thing that um, Canva have done is to abide by the sanctions and not allowed for paid use of Canva, but um, but if you want to use Canva for free in Russia, you still can. Mm. Um, this follows on from uh, Atlassian doing a similar thing. So we, we don't – I mean, Australian tech companies, and particularly the big ones, don't seem to be um, have a great amount of form when it comes to this kind of thing. Obviously, it's, it's, it's murky and we're all trying to do the right thing, but I think, um, you know, let's, let's, let's be better. I wonder if it's the kind of perennial, like, uh, underdog, give us a fair go kind of mentality. Like, hey, we just started doing well. Give us a break. We can't, like, start turning accounts off in major markets. I think that they can, they, 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 they've got enough. They've had a good run. They, they can probably afford to, like, lose a few. You heard it first. So he shares. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely that guy. People are going to listen to me. Oh, uh, well, you know, they did hear it here. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think if they can uh, if they can sort that out, that would be great. Um, some other things that are being uh, sorted out, so to speak, uh, one point five million apps on both the uh, um, Apple Play Store, uh, Android Store, and iPhone um, uh, App Store are on the chopping block. Um, so. It's been a while. Um, you know, we've had a, a solid uh, ten to twelve years of, of smartphones, and some of the early apps uh, from the the early app store days are getting a bit uh, long in the tooth. Um, so, yeah, both of the stores have kind of suggested that uh, a lot of these apps are, are due for a review and and a cull. Um, and the reason is many of them um, are not as secure as they could be, um, uh, hard to support, etc., um, etc. Et and 
the kind of, um, I guess, conversation about this is that um, it's a terrible thing that um, this is happening. But um, the other side of it, apps aren't really sort of meant to be, you know, an oak in the forest. They're not really there to kind of hang around for generations and, and be used kind of lovingly from one kind of family member to the next. So True. I don't think we need to be sentimental about it. Like if there was a thing for like calculating, you know, um, the the growth rate of frogs from a school project in 2011, like it doesn't still need to be there, surely? Probably not. And at the same time, there's probably a newer app that is better supported that does exactly the same thing. Exactly. Like I'm, I've, I've been going through and like i'm guilty of not deleting apps i know that i should uh but you know there are plenty of apps there that i don't use but like when you go to one that you haven't opened for a while and you realize that they haven't done an update in five or six years and it basically like you can hear the computer the the, the phone just kind of like seizing up trying to run this thing like let let go there are there are newer apps that do it a lot easier a lot better do you you just um move them to the back of your like home screen? Do you what? just like slide them onto like screen five or screen seven <laughs> or something that like way that? Away. There's the there's the desktop that I don't like. The, the, the app graveyard. That's yeah. I call it the app graveyard. No, look, I've actually got my apps to uh, automatically delete once I haven't used them after a while. So mm. like, and they've got that kind of like the little cloud thing that says, well, "I'm still here if you want to use me." It's like, oh man, I haven't used you in a while. Yeah. And then you download it, use it once, and then uh, not use it for another two months. Mm. So it, uh, you know, it deletes itself again. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and there has been some stuff going on uh, over at Twitter as well. We're on close Twitter watch, we like are, uh, ex- expected dads. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we really, really want um, it to end. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say I was on Breakfast a couple of weeks ago talking about this, and I've been talking about it more or less constantly ever since. Um, Elon and Twitter... It's 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 the gift that keeps on destroying us. Right. Um, I've already used that analogy tonight. But um, what we can say is that the impending uh, takeover has ruffled feathers in uh, the Twitter offices. Uh, so uh, at Bloomberg have reported that three senior employees are voluntarily leaving the company. So uh, Ilya Brown, a VP of Product Management for Health, Conversation and Growth, Katrina Lane, VP of Twitter Service, and Max Schmeiser, Head of Data Science, uh, have all uh, decided that in the current environment, Twitter is no longer a place where they want to be. Um, I'm sure that Twitter will do their best to replace them, um, you know, with people who Elon approves of. It's interesting, um, in addition to this, uh, I don't know if uh, in the last couple of days uh, we've been seeing that it, uh, the sale to Twitter of Twitter to Elon might actually not go ahead. Um, it's stalled somewhat. He's saying that he cannot move forward until he has clarity on, on fake account numbers, which I'm assuming means the numbers of accounts that are fake. Yeah, um, it has to be less than 5% was his suggestion, I think. Okay, and if it's not, then he decides that he doesn't want to do it anymore. This, this is his whole raison d'etre for, I'm not sure if that's right, for actually buying us to get rid of them. Surely if there's a heap of them, it's actually better for him to do what he says he's going to do. The exactly. man is a... Uh, uh, stop me. Exactly. Please. Um, and there is, there's also been some. Um, well, he suggested that the CEO would be replaced um, um, if the sale goes through. But um, Parag uh, Agrawal is continuing to make moves uh, in the spirit of an inspired executive. He's coming every day and firing people and hiring people and so forth. And people are acting suggesting like nothing is wrong. Acting like nothing is wrong. Um, so yeah, shaky times over there for, for one of our favourite kind of microblogging services. But um, yeah, uh, we'll see what comes of it. Maybe maybe it'll end up in the app graveyard. It could, it could indeed. Um, something that did make me smile today, um, just having a, a look around for, for something weird to, to share with you. Um, 
They've uh, created a computer chip that is powered by algae, which uh, I think is great. Um, now, yeah. Now, before we go, we t- is algae an acronym of some description? Is it an abbreviation? Or are we talking about the water-based plant? The green stuff that feels squishy between your toes. Lovely. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, so, yeah, uh, biochemist uh, Christopher Howes led a team at the University of Cambridge to experiment with photosynthesis um, as a way to power electronics. So um, they've created this uh, tiny little enclosure about as big as a a AA battery um, and they've housed uh, algae, um, blue-green algae for the algae aficionados um, out there, Um, not just your regular green stuff. Um, And then they connected it to a a microprocessor um, and then kind of left it on the windowsill. Uh, at, at their research um, facility, um, when blue green algae starts to photosynthesize when exposed to sunlight, um, it creates a small current of electricity, which then in turn powered the ARM chip wow. um, and allowed it to kind of um, do its job. So that's that's, a, that's an amazing use for blue green algae. I'm having grown up in sort of southern New South Wales, northern Victoria, around the Murray River. When you hear blue green algae, uh, not a good thing. Not a good thing. No, no, you don't don't go in the water. You may you may you may end up vomiting. Well, maybe we just need uh, server farms up there. Um, just on the on the river. Holy hell! Is this is this one of the replacement industries that we're um, we're Could wanting be. to you know re- we're replacing coal? Let's 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 put Absolutely. blue green algae to use. The blue, Holy hell! A blue green fired recovery. This is exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm I'm on board with this. Can we get Mike Cannon Brooks on board with this? Maybe. Maybe when he's when he's not selling things to Russia, make up some of that income. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's fine. So um, that was interesting. I'll tweet out a, a link to that one, and um, I might just mention this one and also um, just share it if if you're uh, having a listen and, and sort of uh, want to jump on the twitters. Um, uh, we have we have gone back through the annals of history to kind of the foundations of, of the internet and talked about this in in many different ways, and there is a kind of um, uh, popular school of thought that the internet just came through ARPANET and through uh, military technology, and, and that's how um, the internet was started. But um, there's a great story in Wired uh, running at the moment around uh, um, a different kind of uh, network, which is a, a precursor to um, uh, groups and to social media that we kind of take for granted these days. Um, so the the actual protocol uh, bulletin board systems, I just kind of missed them. So I kind of um, was more and more on the internet in the mid-90s and these were just starting to fade a little bit. But bulletin board systems are effectively a local network and people would kind of patch together their own kind of networks and every kind of region would have their own kind of bulletin board system and their own kind of system administrator kind of looking after it. Um, and there's these quaint stories of people who are on the internet at that time kind of walking around with business cards with like seven or eight different like network and email addresses that you'd have to try and like find them on. And you'd basically, uh, I mean, not literally travel with a modem, but when you move from like town to town or place to place, you'd kind of plug it in and everything was different. Like the way the internet worked was like wild and and unusual. Um, And uh, it's kind of interesting if you think about it, if you jump forward now, um, uh, for better or worse, a lot of our interaction with the internet is in these wall gardens where we're kind of in these little, you know, gardens where so the things work a particular way and then as soon as you try and connect to a different one it's a little bit weird mm. and the doors keep kind of opening and closing and people are in charge of them and it's a little bit funky with you know apis and stuff like that yeah. but um I'll, I'll put this out um it is kind of interesting to 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 look at the kind of folksy rootsy kind of um early 80s to early 90s um version of the internet um that we experienced so um i just wanted to put that out there and and um pull one out for for the weird internet
是否啦？ Online rejection,、um, rejection in general is is a tough thing.、Um, break open the peanut butter or ice cream, whatever you need to do. But、um, for a lot of people, before that happens,、uh, there is,、um, I guess, a, 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 an outpouring of kind of、uh, frustration or processing or, or what have you. And、um, there is an interesting new campaign,、uh, Crushed but Okay,、uh, that's out via、uh, Alana and Madeline Foundation、uh, with some help from Swinburne researchers. And we're now joined in the studio by. Professor of Media and Communications at Swinburne University, Kath Albury,、um, who's going to tell us a little bit about、um, this new piece of work. So, Kath, thanks for getting off the couch and coming in to have yeah, a chat with us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you.、Um, what, what was the kind of foundation for for this piece of research? Why why is it important to look at online rejection? Yeah. So.、Um The eSafety Commission、um, is funding a number of online safety campaigns, and we were really、um, interested in this one. I, I'd done some work with Alana and Madeline Foundation before, based on、um, some research I did around sexting a few years ago, quite a few years ago now,、um, and it was a great campaign. It was really focused on.、Um, Working against the kind of slut shaming and victim blaming that you often see in cases where、um, sexting has been shared without consent, or, or images are, are going around a school, that kind of thing, and, and, and the victim is often very much blamed for that happening, as opposed to the person who shared the images. And that was a great campaign, but that campaign and most of the、um, work globally that addresses online abuse really focuses on young women. So it's speaking to young women.、Um, increasingly, you know, it is getting better. When I first started looking at it around 2010, it, it was very victim blamey and shamey. Most of the education in that space, it is getting better, but. There was no messaging really、um, speaking directly to young men in this space, and so Lana and Madeline approached the Safety Commission、um, for some funding, which they were awarded, and they invited us、uh, to partner with them. So that's that's the origin story,、um, and it was a great project、uh, involving a lot of co-design and collaboration with young people,、um, and also a lot of really interesting data scraping of Reddit forums. Um, so the background, <laughs> of, <laughs>、okay. what you don't you see in that campaign is a whole lot of research that that went into getting the voice of it right, basically. And, and what what were young people telling you at the start when you kind of had open eyes and ears? What what is happening around rejection? And- yeah, so.、Um, I didn't do the face-to-face work with the young people on this one.、Um, I, I was involved in the the data scrape and and some of the the previous research I've done,、um, but. Really, it's very clear that young people are given lots of information about consent and lots of yes means yes. I mean, maybe not as much as they should, and and schools are getting better at that too. I think, but the messages are a little bit simplistic and don't really help young people process the occasions where they hear a no, and、um, also. Often there is both from educators or parents, but also you know from the kind of darker,、um, more pickup artisty places online, a kind of belief that there's almost a, a, a gaming structure to dating or relationships, or a kind of you know if you just do these ten things in the right sequence, or say these right things, or you know ten top tips to dating success,、um, you'll level up. And you'll be able to close the deal, or whatever you know. You'll get the nude, or whatever it is you want. And 
the reality of it is you're dealing with a human and humans are fickle and unpredictable mm. and you can do everything right according to whatever your pickup artist bro told you or what you read in Cosmopolitan or wherever you got the advice and it still might not work out. And so people really needed some skills for dealing with those situations. Mm. Um, and, and in this particular project, it was about kind of online interactions where you're sliding into someone's DMs or you mm. you like someone and you're messaging with them and, you know, you want to ask them out and it doesn't work out for you. What happens then? Did, did you get the impression... Um um, obviously, we've, we've all been dating for a long time. Some of us have been a long time, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the species. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, sort of um, um, uh, purpose-built internet dating is kind of a relatively recent thing. Like, you know, let's say 20, 20, 30 years and, like, the generation of apps, like, even more recent. Did you get a sense, like, involved in this study that, algorithms really are driving sort of how we like we're learning how they work and we're kind of optimizing our behavior for them yeah i don't think it's a good thing i'm just curious about it i have done other research that looks specifically at apps with older groups with this um project it's kids who are too young to be using apps so their Mm. internet dating is like oh we have mutuals on insta Mm. or i'm sliding into your dms or yeah you know and so it's it's much less structured even than the app and it's much more about um, things like commenting on people's pictures and, um, you know, in some cases this is some of the stuff the young people send in the groups, like guys being really inappropriate in the way they comment on someone's picture and really offending a young woman um, and then getting called out on it and doing that classic backlash like you're not even hot anyway you whatever expletive Mm. expletive and so the aim of this project was to really do a bit of um modeling of behavior instead of kind of abstractly saying be a you know a nice guy whatever that is and that Mm. in itself we know is its own subreddit but um the it was about modelling, okay, when you take a hit or you experience rejection or you've inadvertently offended someone, how do you both deal with that in yourself but also kind of interact with the other person without kind of basically flipping your anger or sense of rejection or whatever onto them as an attack? And it's it's hard to learn how to do that. Were, were, were there was there much feedback on that on that difficulty? Uh, did did we see anyone able to change that behaviour through the work that um, you were doing with them at all? Yeah. So the, the young people involved in the project worked on it for almost a year, and this was a really um, quite an intense project in the way it played out because the funding came through in late. Um, 2020 and we thought we were out of lockdown yay in Melbourne and we're all in lockdown again and homeschooling and all of those things so there was lots of desire to work in schools and that couldn't happen Um, but the young people working with the the co-design team actually then were in their bedroom and they were really comfortable with being quite vulnerable in the way they talked about their experience and one of the young guys Um, who actually ended up in the final campaign, who's 17, um, recorded a kind of reflection at the very end of the project saying, you know, I thought 
I had my act together and I thought I was pretty mature. And through doing this project, I realised that I actually was not managing kind of these online conversations as well as I thought I was. And, I, you know, I maybe have hurt some people's feelings and I've got to kind of rethink the way I'm interacting with people. And um, so, yeah, the, the young people participating in the project got a lot out of it, I think. But we are hoping and who knows, it's only just been released, that, that other young people will be able to share it and and that it will be able to complement some of the conversations about consent or um, bystander behaviour online or those kinds of things. It really was a big gap. that We just couldn't find anything that addressed hearing no. Plenty of stuff about yes means yes, nothing about, well, what happens when I get a no? Mm. And, and, and if someone, you know hears about crushedbutok.org.au and does hear a no and then goes to that website, what what kind of what will they find there that can help them? Yeah, so it, it's um, a series of reaction videos um, that involve a bunch of TikTokers, um, three guys and a young woman reading through messages or you know, Reddit forums and commenting on it and kind of giving their sense of how they would feel if they received that message or what's happened to them in the past and what they might do. And so it's very similar to the kinds of advice-giving threads or reaction video kind of advice-giving that Mm. you might see on platforms like TikTok. Um, And there's an invitation to people on the page to create content if they want that is in line with the project but also kind of referrals and just modelling of how you go about managing situations that suck mm-hmm. <laughs> without yeah. lashing out at other people. What, what are some of these kind of sucky situations? Are they kind of like, broadly speaking, familiar dynamics or storylines that kind of play out? Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. So the, the, there was a lot. Um, we When we did the Reddit scrape, there was a lot of discussion from young men about liking someone and saying you have a crush on them or, you know, asking them out and them saying they want to be friends, so the classic friend zone. Um and we know that's a kind of space that can be really weaponized in some of the more, um, you know, MRA-ish forums. Um, and, and so the aim was to, I guess, have a, have a conversation about it that was like, well, being friends with people is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's... <laughs> That, that we've all been there regardless of our gender and it, it is disappointing but there are ways of dealing with it you know within yourself um and and there's also that that um incident that I talked about where someone who is trying to ask someone out or express their attraction to them in the kind of shorthand text messagey way sends an offensive message mm-hmm. that is you know too sexual too soon and puts the other person off and so there's a there's a reaction to you know how how you might kind of wind that back but also what the other person might feel when you just go straight to a sexual conversation without even saying hi you know? hey we've all said those to our parents by mistake you know <laughs> exactly been there. exactly sorry exactly. mum um yeah is, is there a particular is there do you have a point of view on um why it sounds like um sort of uh, people identify as men are kind of like going through this more often and they, they seem to be less adept at it? Look, I think 
in the in the conversations that that they had with the young men, there was a sense that there wasn't a lot of acceptance of it being something you would discuss with other people. Mm. Whereas I think there's a culture among young women where it's more access, it, it's more acceptable to discuss that kind of loss and disappointment. Mm. Interestingly, we had a, um, a reference group of other academics and, and some of them were from sport or from gaming and we were talking in that group a lot about how it's kind of acceptable to lose or to suck in sport or in gaming um, and it's a, that a lot of energy in junior sport goes into working with young people to think about what you might gain even if you're not winning at something, that, mm. that there are still other things you can get from that. Um, but in terms of relationships or intimacy, those kind of conversations are not common. Mm. Um, and, you know, there is not really a cheat code for relationships. And, and so it's, it's something that you have to learn by doing and you don't want to cause collateral damage along the way. So it, it's, it's a really interesting space and I, th I think it's, young men have been considered too scary or too hard by a lot of educators for a number of reasons. Um, I did work with the National Rugby League a zillion years ago doing sex and ethics workshops with them and people were a bit like, oh, that's very full on. But actually, I don't think young men and, and young women are that different emotionally. It's hmm. just that there are cultural differences that make it much more acceptable to show different kinds of emotions. So for guys like anger, rage, mm. you know, great shame sadness not so good and mm. there's a lot of shame and sadness involved in rejection and so it it can be very difficult for people to find a way to express that mm. and what what's the feedback been from the the campaign so far like seeing the kind of videos out there and the stuff being made um what's happening in the comments i guess yeah we need yeah, to yeah, know. yeah yeah so um i have not had a good look through the comments um and, and it's because i'm the old nerdy academic what the feedback that I've been really happy about is internationally a lot of educators have been have received it really well. Mm. Um, we did say um, when we were putting it together, and this is an indication of how long ago, we went, when we had the initial meetings around this project, it was around the same time as that god-awful milkshake consent video was in the media. <laughs> wow. And, yeah, and, and we were saying as we kind of sat around the, the Zoom meeting you know, we really need to be the opposite of that. And, um, you know, we involved young people in it. It has a really clear set of messages that people can understand mm. and it seems to be pretty relevant, which does seem to be pretty much the opposite of the milkshake video. So, <laughs> so I am satisfied. <laughs> um, if people want to kind of like do more or, or, or sort of um, get involved in it, um, it, are you still looking for creators to kind of work with to, to actually make make uh, stuff or is it look, kind of out in the wild now? Yeah, look, yeah. people can certainly make their own content based on the, the kind of crushed but okay frameworks. Um, Alana and Madeline want to do more work. Um, this was very much targeted at young heterosexual men because there was such a gap um, in this kind of work for young men, but they're interested in, in moving forward, working with... Um, uh, gender diverse people and and people of different sexualities, so yeah, there's there's lots of scope to move forward in this space. Mm. 
Well, uh, if you want to check it out, uh, all one word, crush but okay, O-K-A-Y dot org dot A-U. Um, Kat, thanks for coming in. It's a um, very crisply executed campaign. I love it. I think it looks great. It sounds great. And um, good luck with it. Thank you so much. And if in, uh, these uh, discussions have raised any concerns for you, there is help out there. You can call uh, Kids Helpline on one eight hundred five five one eight hundred. Beyond Blue is on one three hundred two two four six three six. Headspace can be found on one eight hundred six five zero eight nine zero. And of course, Lifeline is available uh, twenty four hours a day on thirteen eleven fourteen. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. We're now joined by Robbie Coleman, who is founder at The Books and um, has usually got a few things on the go. And we hold him in because uh, I think across Melbourne, probably no one knows more about them um, than Robbie. And... We're specifically going to talk about um, a little bit about the market recently and I guess um, while we've talked about the news around NFTs in passing in the past, we haven't really talked about how they're made, the communities around them, kind mm. of how they work. So, But for people who, who don't actually know what an NFT is, how, how would you describe them? I mean, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm not sure whether I'm the most knowledgeable in Melbourne, but thank you. Um, yeah, in terms of NFTs, I mean... It's a pretty difficult thing to explain, so I'll just explain it as simply as possible. Anything fungible is one-to-one. So non-fungible effectively means unique. Um, So non-fungible tokens being the digitized version of a unique asset. So, um, for instance, uh, you you see the Bored Ape Yacht Club. Um, They're one of the most famous NFTs. Um, They're unique. Each every single one of them, each 4,000 of them are, are unique. Um, and the person holding them, um, what, what makes it special is the person, the ownership um, and effectively, you know, the uniqueness of, of being the sole owner of that NFT. And everyone always talks about, oh, I can just screenshot it or right-click and save it yeah. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think my retort to that is, you know, I've got a Matisse hanging in, in my living room, which is just a print as well. Um, I don't own a real Matisse. Mm. Um, so I think it's there's some definitely some parallels there. Mm. Is it weird because people are just used to having the thing that they own as like a you know a material thing and this is kind of a – you have the rights to it. So mm. you could create it, but what you still actually have is still kind of not the actual piece that you print out or – I think there's a two-part there. You don't necessarily technically own the asset. Mm. So particularly with the advent of, of music NFTs – um, it depends how the, the creator has actually established um, the NFT or minted it, but they can write within the smart contract that they actually own the copyright of that NFT, mm. um, even if it's sold on to someone else. So that's just one thing. The other thing is a lot of people, um, they're sort of the digital flex, I guess, and so they have them um, NFTs that is as their avatar, for instance. Mm. So I guess people can see that you own it technically, sort of, Mm. But um, you'd be silly to uh to probably show people your folio and mm. and give them your um your address. Mm. And 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 what's the origin of them? Like um, I, I guess if you do a bit of um sniffing around, mm. you've kind of got like uh, tribes, and they talk about brands. But a brand could be like Board Eight. Board Eight is a brand, but it's also like a we. It's a community. We created this, and this is our aesthetic. And yeah, how did that kind of get going? Well, it's 
pretty interesting. I mean, there's a lot of controversy around when the first NFT was created, whether it was 2012 or 2014. But I think the the real advent of or the popularity of NFTs was really around 2017 with CryptoKitties. Um, so they were the, that was definitely when I was first introduced to them anyway. Um, and I think that, you know, from there, people saw that, you know, cute cats online were, were, were selling like hotcakes. So all of a sudden you saw derivatives of, of these CryptoKitties. And there's nothing to, I guess, um, preclude anyone from, you know, copying what you've done out there or making a slightly tweaked version. Um, I guess public. Picasso said it best when when he said what what was it it's um good artists borrow great artists steal and I think that um that's definitely becoming established I think you know there are definitely communities out there that focus on you know digital animals um the board ape community the board ape yacht club community um but yeah they they all sort of just like to congregate usually around a, a subject matter whether it's an ape or a kitty or mm. yeah it's sort of hard to explain um mm. Well, yes, that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah. And is it is it um, like the the aesthetic is kind of uh, you could say, I mean, you know, the internet is kind of built on cats and and, and stuff like that. So it makes sense if you're going to do sure. something that would that would make sense. But is there kind of like a bit of like a thumb in the eye to kind of the art world as well? Because it's not we're not talking watercolors here. Like a lot of them are kind of um, you know quick renders of stuff that's yeah. kind of fun and playful. There is. Uh, yeah, I guess there is something to that as well. I mean, the the whole cryptocurrency space is a bit, um, mm, a bit of a finger to the man. And I think that, you know, the Renaissance paintings and I guess the Matisse's of this world, um, they do sort of talk about a certain type of person and wealth. And I guess this advent or, you know, this new generation of wealth being built um, by cryptocurrency and, and digital assets and NFT creators and holders and stuff like that. I think there probably is a bit of that in there, which is, you know, middle eye sort of thing. What did you say? Thumb in the eye. Thumb in the eye, I've yeah. never even heard that, but maybe yeah. make an NFT out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess maybe it is a thumb in the eye to the, the old school art world. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, a lot very simplistic, a lot of the art. But, again, NFTs, it's a bit of a um, misconception that they're, they're just art. I mean, you see it a lot in gaming now. Um, it can be used for a lot of things like fractional investing, for instance. So I think the use cases for NFTs um, certainly aren't, you know, sort of pitch and held to just being squiggles or, yeah. Mm. Well, what would you be doing, Dad, if you were running an a NFT gallery and you had your kind of like collection of kind of like, here's, here's my stuff? Folks, I'll, I'll look. I'd lock it and not allow in or whatever. Isn't that isn't that like how, how you make money? You make it scarcer. Mm. Yeah, well, not for an NFT artist, really. So if you're a creator of an sorry to correct you, Dan, but no, um, no, no, please. Like a, this is why we're here. NFT artist. Um, so you can. It's actually pretty clever within the smart contract. So it depends which which blockchain you use to actually mint the NFT. So the most popular being Ethereum. Within an Ethereum smart contract, the um, originator of the art can actually build in trailing revenue so dan if you buy my piece of art my shitty squiggle can i swear i'm not mm. sure mm-hmm. um and you want to sell it i can build it into the contract that i actually get 20 percent of the sale so if it gets sold 20 times you know you compound the 20 percent 20 times i'm no mathematician but it's mm. a lot of money um so there's definitely some benefits for for artists out there and creators out there where you know when you 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 know Pablo Picasso at one point, he wouldn't have been um, 
super famous and I bet a lot of people bought his artwork for a couple of hundred dollars and now it's sitting in galleries around the world for millions. Um, and I'm sure his, his estate would love to see some royalties from that. Mm. And it's kind of, uh, I, I guess, to the uh, um, uh, occurrences of the past few weeks, the kind of market has cooled a little bit. And yeah. um, is that is that just kind of people who usually just kind of like look around for something fun and different to do, just kind of moving into NFTs and then maybe moving on to something else? So not necessarily the people who understand it and get it kind of mm. trading in it, kind of like deserting it and doing something else, but... Um, Maybe it's not like the it investment at the moment for some reason? Well, the, there's certainly the novelty factor of it. I mean, Justin Bieber has 2,000 NFTs. Um, he loves to talk about them. Logan Paul, who's one of my least favourite people on earth, um, also talks about them. So there definitely is this novelty factor to NFTs. But as you right, rightfully pointed out, there has been a bit of a cooling off of the, I guess, um, you know, cryptocurrency and digital asset space. But that said, I mean, in the last 24 hours, there was um, $19.4 million worth of NFTs traded, um, and it's uh, nearly $11 billion sort of market cap on Mm -hmm. NFTs. So, I mean, it's still a huge, um, I guess, asset class, you could call it. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I'm not sure. I I guess I I, I can't predict the future, and I'm not a financial advisor. I should have said Mm -hmm. that disclaimer up front. Mm. Yeah. True. Um, and in, in terms of the, the creative communities, have you had anything to do with kind of looking at like who the, who the people are making these things and, and like what, what, what they're into and why they go about it? Because um, like yeah. the, comu- the community thing is interesting. You don't often think – I don't often think as art as like, oh, there's a community working on that particular art. You have mm. like schools and aesthetics and yeah. they're not necessarily together. They're like spread out around the world kind of doing Well, decentralized, something. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the decentralized nature of, of this whole space. Um, but it was funny, I was uh, I live in, in Thornbury and I was asked for a beer um, by someone who didn't want to be docs, so they didn't give me their name. And they ran a community of artists that did not want to be docs, so, hmm. um, you know, docs being, you know, remaining anonymous. Um, and so there is a level of anonymity to the space and the artists, which I think is sort of, you know, Banksy's done it in, in physical real life. Um, but online, there's a lot more anonymity. And in fact, the communities are actually, um, they, were, they were up in arms when the, the board out yacht, yacht Club got doxxed um, probably two or three months ago by BuzzFeed. So, yeah, I think that, you know, the communities where they live, um, certainly they're decentralised. Um, what attracts them to come together to, to create a community, no one knows really. I guess driven by money, probably. Great, mm. like most things, or not most mm. things, but... Um, yeah, it's certainly very fascinating um, mm. where they congregate. And what's been your personal experience with them? Did you kind of, when you got involved, did you kind of like jump in and like, I just love this, I'll have a go. And, you know, you bought something for a grand and sold it for like 200. Um, uh, not mild, really. Mildly. I was yeah. on the toilet and um, and someone sent me a text saying, you need to do this thing. You mm. need to go into CryptoKitties. Um, and so I bought a CryptoKitty for uh $50 or something like that. Mm. And then I sold it immediately for $200. And I texted my friend saying I'd sold Vegemite, my, my crypto kitty. Um, and it was a founder, a generation zero kitty. And he said, I just bought Vegemite. And so the community was so small that a guy, a suburb <laughs> away from me, um, had bought my crypto kitty. So I was, uh, I don't know, among the first few hundred people probably using the platform. So that was my first experience with NFTs in 2017. Um, and ever since I've been, yeah, 
curious about them, but really I'm curious about the idea of um, creators and artists and the ability to build in royalties um, into their, their art and have that as a trailing revenue stream. And, and I guess the, I, I see sort of the trend being, uh, I'm not a big fan of talking about the metaverse, but certainly if you talk about virtual art and galleries being able to you know, experience this art in the metaverse um, and the possibilities for artists to showcase their art in a virtual manner, I think is kind of exciting. Yeah. Mm. And if uh, if someone's interested in uh, picking up some of your um, your kitties, like what what would be your tip to someone trying to just get into this space for the first time? Do you reckon? Well, definitely don't ever use money you can't afford to lose. Um, so maybe if you, I mean, end of financial years coming up, so tax, tax return. Yep. I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe don't spend your tax return um, on this, but. Yeah, start small and start with something you like. Um, and I definitely wouldn't follow trends necessarily. Um, and don't be scared. Uh, it's easy to get scared. Um, I've had many text messages ask me today whether I should sell and I have replied, I'm not replying. Nice. Um, anything from you, Dan? Any... No, no, I, Dan's I, not I, interested. I, well, no, <laughs> I, 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 I definitely am terrified of the whole concept of You NFTs. should be. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's, it's just it's just something that has kind of flown over my head. So I'm, I, I've, I've not been able to grasp how something can be so scarce mm. when it can be replicated in such a way. Well, it's scarce because it, it can't be replicated, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, is the thing. So if you you can demonstrate that you are the official holder of, of that, I mean, you probably shouldn't. I would advise against it because of their worth. Um, but you can actually demonstrate that you do own it. Um, I can also pretend I own a Matisse. Um, so, yeah, I think that the parallels are there. Absolutely. If if you're curious, look him up, Robbie Coleman, founder of the books, um, and uh, Triple R's resident NFT expert. Uh, Robbie, thanks oh, for no. coming by. Thank you so much. Cheers. Uh, you're listening to Bite Into It on Three Triple R with Warren and Dan. Uh, we've got one uh, event to make you aware of this week. Uh, Intopia is hosting an Ask Me Anything uh, webinar to coincide with Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, which is tomorrow, the 19th of May, at 1 p.m. Um, if it's free to attend, you don't need to register, and we will uh, tweet out the link to the uh, event so that you can uh, watch it on the Intopia YouTube channel. Warren. That is great. Um, thanks for remind- the reminder on that day too. Um, that's a good one. Um, also, thank you very much to our, our guests tonight, uh, Kath Albury and to Robbie Coleman. And uh, thank you very much, Dan, for uh, taking the trouble. And thank you, Warren. It's been great fun. <laughs> um, Elizabeth McCarthy, podcaster Matthew Hall, you're awesome. We've been bite into it. And coming up soon is Anthony Carew with International Pop Underground. Stick around. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.